this might be the shortest service in Placentia Presbyterian Church history. If so, mark this day, enjoy it, enjoy the company that you share with each other. And uh, we'll keep going. Our underlining this morning um, comes from Robert Louis Stevenson. And I, uh, when it was submitted to me, there were a whole bunch that, that, uh, that I got. And, uh, and I, I thought, this is a, a thoughtful way to think about living, to think about who we are as Christians and what we're supposed to be doing. And he writes this, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seed you plant. As Americans, we are so much the opposite. We uh, count everything and we add it up and it's the sum total of something that gives our lives meaning and purpose. Um, People want to know your net wealth. People want to know um, how old you are. People want to know all kinds of things and they want to know the sum total of it. And we are just not that, that we should judge as we live each day by the, not by the harvest we reap, but by the seeds we plant. Pray with me. God, as we look at your word, as we prepare to hear it uh, preached, and as we uh, consider your word uh, speaking to us and your spirit speaking to us, apart from uh, the preacher, apart from anything else, God, we ask for you to speak and so that we might hear your voice in this time, in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that um, it, it evoked in me was um, Mark 4 and, and other parts of the gospel as well, but the parable of the sower and the seed. And you know it well. Jesus um, is teaching about the kingdom of God, what it's like. And um, there's some things to pay attention to in the text and to, to notice as we move along. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea and the land. He began to teach them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And he said, let anyone with ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the 12, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables, 
in order that they may indeed look but not perceive, they may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you now, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones of the earth where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold. I had a, a class in seminary um, taught, and taught by one of the pastors of Church Grove, one of the professors. And uh, I remember sitting in the class, and he was talking about this parable. And when it was done, he said to the class, he asked the question, so what's the point of the parable? And, uh, and everybody knew there was a right answer and a wrong answer, so nobody raised their hand. And, uh, and he, said, he said this about the parable. He said, it means that you're to go out and find the good soil and put the seed there. And then I raised my hand. And I said, Dr. Wagner, you can't do that to the Scripture. And he laughed. He said, I just did. <laughs> and this morning, I'm going to give you another way of looking at it. Because I still believe that he got it wrong. That this scripture isn't about finding the good soil. It's more descriptive of the lavish nature of the sower. It's more descriptive of how um, God spreads the word than it is about individual soils, though it, it takes some time to talk about them. One thing we have to understand and know about seed in the ancient world, and that is the seed was precious. It wasn't like you could go down to Lowe's and buy um, a bunch of seeds, you know, burpee seeds, that's a brand. Um, we we uh, buy seeds every now and then. Dee likes to to uh, uh, buy um, herbs and, and fruit and all kinds of stuff and grow up from seedlings. And so we have a bunch of egg carts that have a little bit of soil in it. And we, we um, scuff the seed a little bit and we, we moisten it on a, on a towel and then we put it in the dirt and then hopefully it, it germinates and we get a small plant. And then that small plant goes through a series of dyings because it never quite makes it into the ground outside in the garden. So um, it gets pretty far, but at some point stops, um, stops growing. I think it has to do with the amount of water we give it and attention. But, but seed isn't like that in the ancient world. It's precious. It's rare. It takes a lot of work to be able to preserve seed and to keep it 
It's not like they have farms just for seed. They get the seed off of the plants that they grow. And so in the ancient world, the planting practices were simple. They would take a stick, they would plow up the ground, and then they would take a stick, and they'd poke it in the ground, and they'd drop some seed in it out of their little pouch. And they'd go to the next stop, and they'd do that. And they do that. We used to live in Camarillo up next to, uh, when you come down the, the hill off the grade of the 101, there's all those farms. And we live right next to uh, some fields. And, and they didn't do it anything like that. Um, and it was, it was uh, mature plants going in. And um, particularly when they did things like uh, um, uh, peppers and that kind of stuff. Uh, they would go up, the stakes would go up. You could always tell what they're planting. It was stakes for peppers. It was plastic for strawberries. And then it was just the smell of cilantro. And, um, and they would go through and, and just line that thing up. And they'd have a whole field planted in a matter of hours. And uh, that's not the way it worked in the ancient world. It was plotting. It was a few precious seed in a hole buried with the dirt from a foot that kicks the dirt back over it, and they would just keep doing that. People still plant that way. And Jesus tells this story to a bunch of people that know how to farm. What do you think they're thinking? He tells the story. There's a farmer, and he has seed, and he broadcasts it. I, uh, I was going to do lifesavers and throw them around the church, but I hear that Dave Troop did that years ago, so I didn't want to repeat it. But um, it's, a, it's a great image, isn't it? You just take it and you just throw it. And, and he throw, God, the, the sower is throwing seeds so far that it lands on all kinds of soil. It's not just where he intends to plant it, where it might grow, but it falls on the road and it falls in the rocks and it falls in the weeds. And the farmer just keeps throwing it. Just keeps throwing it. Seed goes everywhere. There's no concern for where it ends up. Why this waste? Why would God waste so much good? Why would the farmer waste so much? And I want to say it's just the nature of God. It's that God looks at the world and says there's an abundance of what I have to offer, not a scarcity. What I, um, I've shared with you before, my, I, I love to share this. I love to share it. Actually, if my sister were watching and she's not, I'd love for her to hear it again because I, I say it to her every time I see her. That when I was born, I was born at Hogue Hospital. It was a one-story building at the time, and children were not allowed inside. And I was, I've probably told you, I was held up at the window for my sisters to see me. And my youngest sister, who at the time was four, uh, my middle sister, said um, to herself, there's not enough love in this family for one more child. <laughs> and, uh, and I think she had it in for me from that day on. But uh, she was wrong. She was wrong, I'm pleased to say. There was enough love. But I think people look at it that way. God's not concerned with it. God knows that what, what God is offering is abundant. There's an abundance of love. There's an abundance of mercy. 
There's an abundance of graciousness. There's a bunch of goodness. It is just endless. It overflows. We get that from Psalm 23, right? What happens? My cup does what? Runneth over. God's grace is remarkably available. I think what God's concerned with the most is that we'd make it unavailable. Not that we would waste it. God is the God of abundance, not scarcity. We live in a world of voices that tell us that there's not enough to go around. We live in a world that says we need to be careful not to give it all away. That we ought not to share indiscriminately. We ought to be judicious in how we give our substance away. There's not enough to go around. There won't be anything left when we need it if we're too generous, if we give away too much. Started a church in 1988, pastored it for 19 years. And in the process, um, we grew up our leadership. Um, people that had never been in leadership in a church before were invited to be in leadership at Tribuco Presbyterian Church. And as they were, we realized, you know, they don't come ready-made. Leaders are people that, that are taught, they're discipled, they're brought along. They don't always uh, know how to do this. And, uh, and we were all in that same boat together. I'd never been the pastor of a church before, and, and uh, these people had never started a church before. And so we were on a steep learning curve. But I remember early on, what we asked of our elders was that um, they give regularly a percentage of their income. That it wasn't, um, we didn't ask them to give 10%. We asked them to give a percentage and to do it regularly, to lead by example in the life of the congregation. And to trust God that God will take care of them in this. And I remember one of uh, the men in the church came to me and he'd been asked to be a new elder. He said, you know, I, I, um, I can't, um, I just can't tithe. I can't do it. I said, well, well, Why? He started to talk about just his concerns and his fears and, and everything else. And when I came right down to it, he said, I, I just don't know if I tithe that there'll be enough at the end when I retire. Fair enough. It's an interesting statement. What I challenged him with was to believe that there was enough that God would provide in his life and for his life. I don't know what his answer was. I don't know what he came around to. But I think it's interesting that we have voices around us all the time. I have to say that when it comes to our, our treatment of people from other parts of the world, 
we have plenty of room and plenty of resources to welcome people that are in trouble from all over the world. It's the beginning and it's the heart of our country. And I'm really surprised by Christians who would shut doors for people to come and reap the benefits of what we have. I'm always surprised that we think there's not enough to go around. Do you realize there's enough food in the world to feed everybody 10 times over? It's not about how much food there is. It's about who's got it and who's holding on to it. Jesus' story isn't intended to counter our fear of scarcity that there's not enough. You might ask, if there's so much, then why in the parable is there such low receptivity, such low return? You realize that the parable says that that the seed goes out and only 25% of it actually produces something. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thought that, that the seed goes out and finds four different kinds of soil, but only one produces. So only 25% of it is productive. And yet, that 25% produces a remarkable harvest. Why then is there such low receptivity if there's so much abundance? C.S. Lewis, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, puts it this way. He says, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum gutter because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. That image just is so profound to me that if you were to offer someone a holiday at the sea, that they'd refuse it in order to keep making mud pies in the gutter. It's not that the holiday at the sea isn't possible in Lewis's story, metaphor. It's that it's offered, but the child has no imagination to receive it. Many have no imagination. We are far too easily pleased, says Lewis. We have no imagination for the grandeur that Jesus is offering. A completely plowed up and new existence where the way it was is no longer and the way of heaven finds its way to earth. That's what Jesus is telling us. I think it may be that if we really saw it clearly, if we truly believe this, that we'd be overwhelmed by what it means. Think of Jesus' commands. I do this often, and I know you've heard me do it before, 
But Jesus says things like, turn the other cheek. How many times? How many times can you turn your cheek? Again and again and again and again. Forgive 70 times 7. He doesn't mean to count up to 490. He means forgive and keep forgiving because that, friends, is life. It's the way of God. It's the very character of Jesus. Love your enemies. How many of us in these last few years have chosen up sides and we've grown to hate people who believe something different than what we do about something stupid like politics? Something as unlasting as politics. I know politics are important. But it will not last, friends. It's not eternal. And we've taken up aim at one another. And as I've said before, we forgot who we are and whose we are. Stop judging others. Jesus says, give away everything you have and come and follow me. I don't know anybody, actually. I know very few people that have done that. I should say I do know a few. And it's amazing to see that. Provide provide hospitality to the stranger and the sojourner in your midst. And I can keep going. Jesus is endless in what he has to say to us about how to live. I shared with you from a book called More Ready Than You Realize a few weeks ago. And I actually had someone in my office some years ago who asked me this question. Why do those who claim to know the truth show little evidence of living it? Why do those who claim to know the truth... I mean, I could say that about me. Craig, why, when you claim to know the truth, you show so little evidence of living it, of believing it? I think it's because I look at the demands and I wonder, where will it stop? And would I make it? Is there enough? Is there enough love in this family for one more child? Is there enough love in this country for one more household? Is there enough? Is there enough? The receptive ground in the examples of Jesus are not the religious people, but those who have been marginalized by religion. The receptive ground isn't the religious crowd. It's people outside who've been marginalized. And there's four different kinds of soils out there all receiving the seed. One it finds root in. But it's not for the insiders that this parable is being told. It's for those like the Sermon on the Mount, 
who cannot get God for themselves. Blessed are those who cannot get God on their own, says Jesus. That's how Dale Bruner translates the first few Beatitudes. Blessed are those who cannot get God for themselves. Blessed are the poor in heart. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who in the rules of the world cannot access God on their own. And that's where the seed is going. Not everyone will receive it. I was um, reminded last night the, uh, our, our young adult group was trying to go to the beach and, and uh, I had given a, um, just a little bit of advice about finding a, a fire pit and it was not heated. Um, it, <laughs> it's to go down early in the morning at about 7 or 8 and you go down and you stake out your claim and you stay there all day and that's your fire pit. And even then it might be hard to find one. And uh, they, they unfortunately went without last night and still were able to get together. But, but I was at the beach some years ago and uh, I used to live above Crescent Bay in Laguna Beach. And, and I was down there and I was, uh, there was a group of, of young adults that were playing in the um, surf. And the waves would come up and these young people, there was about a dozen of them, they were, they were there as a group, and the water would come up and chase them up the beach, and they'd run back up to, the, to the, where the water wasn't on the dry sand. And then as the water went back out, they'd run back down to the ocean. And they played, and they laughed, and they fell down, and they uh, got all wet. And um, these are people that were, um, some of them were, were Downs children, uh, Downs adults, some of them uh, had other kinds of challenges in their lives. But that day I watched them and they were having such a great time. Totally unselfconscious of the people on the beach who were preening and sunning and tanning themselves with dispassionate um, um, aloofness to all those around them. And there was a group of uh, college students, just uh, people that just graduated who were there and uh, one of the young men was um, just talking about how how he'd been looking for a job he graduated from one of the uh, prestigious universities in uh, southern california and they promised him access to all kinds of things and and uh, it wasn't happening for him and he said it doesn't matter um, uh, i have my trust fund anyway and, uh, and he sat there disgruntled, unable to see the joy of being at the beach, unable to see the joy of his life, unable to see the abundance around him. He didn't have access to it. And these young people, unselfconsciously, running in and out of the waves, were such a counterpoint to the way this one person viewed the world and the way they viewed the world. To these young adults playing in surf, there was an abundance of everything. It was joy. Infinite joy, as Lewis would say. And for this young man on the beach, complaining to his friends, he couldn't see the abundance he had. He could only complain. 
Jesus is so intent on finding those in whom the word of life could come to life. He's willing to be wasteful with this precious seed and scattering it wherever it might find root. It will go to everyone. It'll go to this disgruntled college graduate on the beach as it will to the children playing in the surf. It'll go everywhere. Because Jesus is intent on finding anyone who will respond. Anyone. Not a select few. We're a mixed bag. We want it to happen. And we don't. Because if it's true that the blessings we've been given, that the Word of God, that the results of the Word of God in our lives are supposed to be broadcast to everybody, and without concern for whether there's enough, then what will be left? We're just not sure. And so we take our money and we give a little bit. We take this word of God and we go to comfortable places and we put a little bit there. And we do a little bit over here. And we wonder why people don't get it. What would it be like for you in one area of your life to move from careful measuring to almost reckless giving? What would it do for you? Just one area. I don't know what that would be. It could be money. That seems to be the thing we're stingiest about. It could be time. It could be just the aches and the pains it takes to get going and get out and do something. It could be almost anything. But the only way to know if God's promises are real is to test them. Is to put, not God to the test, that's not right. Put your life to the test and see what the result is if you live generously in all aspects of your life. What corner of your life would be a starting place where you can let the seed of the abundance of God, that little bit of seed of the kingdom, come and take root in you and grow up into fruition. What would it be? Pray with me. God, forgive my unbelief and help me to believe, to let go of my life how I think I'm preserving it. That I might reflect the lavish nature of your love. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.